Okay, you guys want to start with music like we usually do? It's fine with me. Alright, cool. I'm a-okay with that. Uh, I listen to a bunch of these. Ryan, why don't you just go ahead and uh, take us through. Okay. And I'll, Yeah, I'll get I'll get a few out of the way, just to kind of mention that they happen. Hella, a band called Hella, released an album called Hold Your Horse Is. Um, Clever. Yeah, it's a math rock band. It's a two-piece, just guitar and drums. Very, very noisy band. Um, this was like the number one album of the month, too. Like on the album of the year site. Oh, like audience reception? Yeah, it's kind of a weird one that people... You know, I think people talk about this band more than they actually like the band. Hmm. Um, their music is very frantic um, and uh, difficult to listen to. Uh, their, their drummer, very, very talented. Uh, very, very talented drummer. Like, I get it, but um, for me personally, it's, it's kind of a difficult listen because it's just... Um, even when you get to that point where it just is kind of background music, you're not really appreciating it. It's just kind of mayhem um, in, sun, you know, just in, in sound. Um, yeah, the, the, Zach Hill is the drummer of the band. He's probably the most uh, uh, interesting component of it. Like, the guitars are, are fine and all that, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I think if, if you liked bands like Don Caballero or if you've heard of Lightning Bolt, you would probably like Hella. But if you are already listening to them, again, I imagine you probably already know about Hella. Um... A, a guy by the name of Jason Andrew Molina releases his sixth album under the moniker Songs Ohio. Uh, album called Didn't It Rain. Uh, this is a very just dreary album. Uh, he's kind of famous, infamous, I guess, or I don't even know how you would say it. He's remembered, sadly, because about, you know, this is 2002. We're talking around 2008 or 9. Um, he will die of complications of um, alcoholism. He basically mm-hmm. kind of drank himself to death. Uh, poor fella. He made a very, very sad and somber album. You'll wonder why he's depressed. I mean, he, he made a bunch of albums that'll tell you why. Uh, so this is this is one of them. I don't know. I, I can't really say um, I enjoyed it all that much because it is so depressing. And then you hear about his backstory, and it's like uh, that's that's tough. Uh, the Walkman. They have their debut album. Everyone who pretended to like me is gone. <laughs> I listened to this one. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, you take the point. What's what, what, what your deal on this one? I, I didn't make any notes, so I'm going to just kind of shoot from the in this one. I Kind of like a, a folksy indie rock band, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, d- didn't really do it for me. I think like the, the songs always just kind of like melded together. There weren't very many. Like There wasn't much variety to what they were putting out there. Also very long. All the tracks were very long. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, none of the songs really had very many interesting hooks either. So... Just kind of like washed right over me. I didn't get very interested in it at all. And yeah, this one didn't really grab me either. Um, they, they're going to be better remembered for their mid-2000s albums. I mm. think one's called like Slings and Arrows or something like that. Um, that's going to be a very, very popular record for them. This one, I mean, they're kind of... They're, they're establishing their sound. Again, it's kind of like that post-punk... It, it, like you're saying, like indie rock with a little bit of folk leaning. Kind of like The Strokes, maybe. Or if, if someone like Interpol or maybe even The National... Um, like whatever. All right. I can't yeah. really say I care that much about it. Uh, Celine Dion releases "A New Day Has Come." This is a, guys. This is going to sell twelve million copies. Good for her. That's a God lot. Damn. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of units to move. Uh, but buoyed by singles like "I'm Alive" and "I Surrender," "A New Day Has Come," they were all big songs. Uh, compared to like, obviously, everyone knows her from her fucking. Uh, mm titanic song yeah she's super famous at this point yeah yeah so this album kind of if you were to go back and listen to those older albums they're a little more um you wouldn't even even say folky but a little more i don't know centered around like 
organic instrumentation, guitar, bass, drums, that kind of stuff. This one is very much like a dance pop record. This is her kind of listening to the conventions of the likes of Shakira, I guess. Um, maybe being even even so far as to say influenced by like freaking Britney Spears. Um, you know, she's still very much that adult, contemporary, boring Canadian woman. Um, but you can tell she's uh, kind of feeling a little bit. She's she's feeling herself out, and she's enjoying this one. You could tell she's really going for it. Um, it's 70 minutes long. Ooh. Ooh. Again, yeah, uh, she really used the studio time as, as, as much as she could. Um, yeah, uh, and the production's good, uh, honestly. like I, Again, it's I don't know anyone less cool, so uncool. She, I shouldn't say less cool. The most uncool musician after like Michael Bolton is probably Celine Dion. <laughs> the, 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 the least hip. Or Kenny G, maybe. Mm. Like, the, this is the... This, fucking Yanni. <laughs> these are, this, is, this is the circle of musicians. that, that this, is, this is with whom she orbits. Mm. And I don't know. I just... Her music is so fucking dorky. I, I, I believe I can listen to anything. I don't know I could pull off pumping Celine Dion as I'm driving down the street. This, this is like the, the music <laughs> that your parents liked. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, you know... It's 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 cool though. I, would, I would totally recommend just just listen to it if, again if, if you like production if you like hi-fi production it's great. Um, Silverchair, the band Silverchair releases their album Diorama. This is an Aussie band that I remember as one of the very first bands I remembered by name back in like the early '90s when I was really starting to listen to music. Uh, they had this album called Frog Stomp, which was like a classic grungy rock album, and this one is very far removed from that. It's much more polished, um, very. Um, very sophisticated sounding pop album sort of in the vein of power pop groups like Jellyfish or maybe even that Super Furry Animals you guys probably don't remember them but whatever that that's what this sounds like uh, the first handful of tracks are really really good the album loses momentum in my opinion but those first three or four songs sound great super hook driven and just enjoyable so I would actually recommend this diorama album, but if you're going to listen to Silverchair, Frog Stomp is where it's at. That's like classic, classic 90s grunge. Lastly, Pepper. Have you guys heard of Pepper? No. They're a Hawaiian-based uh, white boy reggae outfit. Um, okay. You will listen to this and you will think, this sounds a lot like Sublime. And you know why? Because it sounds a fuck ton like Sublime. Okay. Um, there, Yeah, there's just so much subliminess and all of this but it is very polished very crisply produced the only thing i would say is that sublime had a little bit more diversity where like they would sure do that white boy reggae stuff but then they would have like some more upbeat punk songs that kind of like balance out this little diet they have this one is very much that like cool smooth reggae sound um and they they do it really well but yeah i i i don't know like aside from the celine dion tracks from all of the stuff that I looked at, like on Spotify, this band's tracks have the most listens. So even if it didn't translate to sales in terms of an album, I think it went platinum, but this didn't sell crazy well. But for whatever reason, it's just constantly people are listening to the tunes on it. So give them credit. Like, eh, here's what it is. Um, the band Nerd, N-E-R-D. Uh, they released an album called In Search Of. This is um, the production duo from Neptunes. They actually have like an organic funk rock band, and they made this this album here. Um, it had the song Lap Dance and Truth or Dare, two really, really big hits. I mean, we don't sing. We don't sing on this, but if you were to, you would probably remember these tunes. Um, Wes sings on this all the time. Yeah, he sure does. Well, big singer. 
professional um, vocalist. Yeah, I mean, and again, if, I, I've mentioned Neptunes a million times just because of this retro show. At the time, there were no two hotter producers than Neptunes were. They're still absolutely super huge, but um, they were fucking kingmakers, just constantly churning out the top remembered singles on top albums. So, a um, couple more hip hop records. Um, Nonfixion released The Future Is Now. It is a huge collective of just like so many names. I'll just read the names off real quick. Necro, uh, Pete Rock, DJ Premier, uh, just this just murderer's row of producers on this. Um, really, really good, especially if you like turntablist hip hop. You also had a an artist named Eden. I'd never heard of this guy. Eden, uh, Primitive Plus. This is like not even like an old school hip hop record. This is like an early '80s hip hop record. So very much driven by drum machines, and even his vocal stylings. You'll listen to it, and he just sounds like um like the Fat Boys and LL Cool J. Even Run DMC, just like those ori- very original 80s hip-hop dudes. Like, really, really good. Lastly, uh, Gasoline releases, a, I believe it's a duo, releases a Journey into Abstract Hip-Hop, which is all just like, again, it's it's their French, but it's more sample-driven with a little bit of down-tempo stuff in it. So, I mean, eh, it's fine. It's there. It's there if, if you want more hip-hop. If you wanted a fourth hip-hop record, I'd put that one in there. But it's okay. If you like that kind of thing, it's there for you. Now we get into the punk albums, though. And this is a, this is kind of a wild month, I think, for punk music. I agree. Anyone you want to start with? Yeah, go, go ahead. Let's go through your list. First on the list, uh, the album Tell All Your Friends by Taking Back Sunday. Yup. Man, this was huge. I I'm remember this one. I'm very familiar with this album. Everybody loved this record. Mm. Um, yeah, a really, really good album. Yeah. I think their next one's better, but we're not, we're, yeah. we're, not, we're not talking about where you want to... We're talking about this. So why does this album work? I ask myself. Um, I I think what makes this album so great is that they kind of managed to capture all the pop punk fun, mix in the emo, and the dual vocals is so much of a crowd response thing. Mm -hmm. This group knows how to work a crowd really, really well. Have you you ever seen them live by any chance? No. I've seen them live a couple of times. um, And it's one of those things where everybody in the pit just knows the words and is singing along. It's Mm -hmm. such a... Such a what would you say, like, such a kinetic environment when they're playing. It's a big hook, some really fun sing-along moments, like Cute Without the E is a big one. Yeah, for me, that's the standout track. Uh, You're So Last Summer. I, I, my personal favorite song on the album is probably Timberwolves in uh, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that song. Another good one. Yeah. So, uh, very, very important album for this yeah, time for sure. and, and for the what's going to become this big wave of emo albums in the 2000s this is a, this is a critical one this is a touchstone record uh next against me reinventing oxwell rose hell yeah i love this record this this one was so fucking good this is one that i listened to a couple of times on a work computer and just kind of like washed over me and i was like doing other things at the time i was like in in a, in a warehouse space and of course there's a work computer the, the speakers weren't great on it so the yeah. first couple of times I listened to it, I was like, yeah, this is fine. But then I listened to it a couple more times on like where I could actually sit down and focus on it. This album is so fucking good. Yeah. This is really, really good. I mean, uh it's, it's um the debut studio record from this band against me. Yep. Probably like the most They had punk. two EPs prior to this. They had the mm-hmm. crime the crime EP and the self titled EP as well. But this is like probably like the most uh, punk band of the month in terms of like like maybe influenced by like American hardcore music. Yeah. Uh, but really like a bunch of standout tracks. We laugh at danger. It's kind of like this folksy sing along. Oh yeah. Kind of song that's really really good. Uh, Scream until you cough up blood. 
it's kind of it's it's got a little bit of a ska flavor to it. It doesn't, of course, like have all like the horns and brass instruments, but like the guitar upstrokes make it really really fun. Uh, Jordan's first choice is kind of like this marching band chant, mm -hmm. and it opens with no instruments. And like when I was first, I was like, how can you compromise yourself like this? It, and yeah. like at yeah. first, like when I was listening, I was like, is this is this a mistake? Like, did it skip to like a, a track from something different here? Or like, did they like fuck up in the production of this? I'm like, no, it's exactly the way uh, they intended to be. Um, these anarcho punks are mysterious. That's got a, a really like fun pop bop to it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the, the title track, Reinventing Axl Rose, kind of like has this this bluegrass twang. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's much closer to something like The Clash than it is like other American hardcore stuff that a lot of their other songs sound like. Oh yeah, really good album. So Ooh, really impressed me. Like this is this is very much a uh, like a nostalgia trip for me. Like I remember seeing them at the Old Wills Pub probably mm -hmm. in two thousand two. As this band was really taking, because they're from Gainesville, they're from Gainesville. There's probably no more important album in punk music in the state of Florida than this album. It was a definitive, like iconic record. Um, like you're saying, every one of those songs is so great. Um, like Pints of Guinness will make you strong. The opener is just so heartfelt and tragic. Um, Baby, I'm an anarchist is often misunderstood, but it's very tongue in cheek. Again, these these guys are like living off the crust. Like they're this is very much like an anarcho punkist band, like punk band, and you know these these lyrics that they write are just so acerbic, just so so mean at times, but yet they're also very heartfelt. And gosh, like you know, we listen to all these other punk bands like Anti Flag and Propagandi, and yet they distill it in such a way where it's just about their daily lives and it's just about who they are. I, I love it. Tom Gable at the time. Tom Gable now Laura Jane Grace, incredible writer. Um, his voice on this record, the way that he has that kind of like uh, vulner vulnerability, but then just has that yell, has that just kind of blood curdling yell, and um, it just oh, it's so so good. Every and I love I love the way the album's written. Every line is just so quotable. It's um, and it's so brisk. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's there is the point. Yeah, it it just it sounds like a basement show. It's like their production is so lo-fi. It sounds like it's you're just listening to a band perform live in a basement. And you know their albums that they come out out after this, they're gonna sound a bit more hi-fi. They'll mix. They're gonna change things around a little bit, but uh, consistently great band. I really love Against Me. This is this is an all-time album for me personally. I love this record so so much. Um. We'll move on, though. Um, we got simple plan. Simple plan. No, what is it? No pads. No, no, no helmets. Just balls. Uh, we yeah. go like from the high, high of against me. Like th this album is such fucking trash. You couldn't like, imagine a more polar opposite album, from right? That to this. This is just such fucking juvenile pop emo. Like I think the the, the standout tracks, like the the singles from this one, were "I'm Just a Kid," which is of course like a really recognizable song. This guy has such a fucking whiny voice. I know his voice is really rough. The music video is mixed in with scenes from that movie, The New Guy, which we're gonna get to. Like this this song comes out yeah. before, like the single comes out before this movie does. <laughs> uh, yeah. The other one is Addicted, and uh, Perfect is the other single from this. And Perfect is like such like a fucking whiny emo bullshit song. Like this, this band yeah. is like so like tunnel focused on writing material for fourteen to sixteen year old boys, 
And once yeah, you're like out of that age bracket, once you're out of that sort of like mind, like that that place in your life, you you listen to this and just think like, what, what this this is just childish nonsense. It made me think that like even bands like Sum Forty One, Good mm-hmm. Charlotte. They got a little bit of edge to them. Sure. Like, obviously, Blink-182 is X-rated. Mm-hmm. They're, they, that's what they've always been good at, is doing X-rated nursery rhymes is essentially where they're at in terms of their music. And it's perfect for them. Yeah, this band, it's, it's I don't know. If anything, it's mislabeled. They really aren't even a punk band. They're a, they're a power pop group. Mm-hmm. They, again, they're, this is probably a band more like Cheap Trick than they are like Ramones. <laughs> right. Like, all their songs are super mid-tempo and... The product. I mean, granted, the production is great on this album. It yeah, sounds like, really, really good. Some, someone high-fi. really wanted to make a commercial hit with yeah. this album. Well, then they did. I wish the kid was like a banger. Well, it's not a banger. It was a big hit back in the it day. It was a hit song. I will sure. tell you the ones that are bangers. It was probably charted in the top 40. Yeah, no, no, for real. Like, um, it's, a, it's a memorable band, too. Like, I mean, they they did well in this era. And again, mm. I think they were probably the safe play. Mm. You know, like, you know, parents, play parents wouldn't radio. be ashamed to have their kid listen to this versus something like Sum 41. You know? Or, or something like Against Me. Like they're a more commercially oh, viable. Oh, can I tell you? I, when I worked at a music store, I, they would let us play whatever we wanted, and I played that album in store. And I remember someone got really upset at me for that. I think, I, and it wasn't even because they were cursing. I think it was just that it was kind of raw and rough, and they maybe didn't like the the message of the song. I guess. Uh, you could how say. sad for them. Yeah. Right. And I was like, you're even picking a fight with me about this. Take your delicate sensibilities to peaches. Get out of here. Seriously. Like, what are you doing? At any rate. Uh, two. I got. I got. I got. Uh, one more. Uh, two more punk albums. But uh, Finch. What it is to burn. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, this this album of all things uh, made a ton of different like guitar album top tens. Oh, interesting. Like like uh, periodicals that track guitars and stuff. And if you listen to it, you'll understand why the two guitars, the dual guitar work on this album, fucking amazing. Their tones are great. The riffs are awesome. It's so melodic. It's a whole album of just listening to these two guys play guitar on top of the fact that you have a really pretty solid post-hardcore record, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought it, uh, oh, it was fine. And I always Didn't thought, really have anything like yeah. in particular standard out to me, but everything was, was super listenable. I remember thinking these guys were like the dorks of the post-hardcore scene back in the day, and I feel bad for feeling that way. I should have listened to this album way more than I did back then, because it's good. It's really good. I enjoy it. And then, uh, I mean, gosh, the cherry atop a month of great music, Flogging Molly, Drunken Lullabies. Yeah. Wow. wow. What, a, what a great album. Every song is a banger. Um, yes. It's their their second studio album. And, you know, again, for my money, like we were talking about Taking Back Sunday, their follow-up to this Within a Mile Home is probably their best one for me personally. But, like, uh, If I Ever Leave This World Alive, Swagger, those for me are the, the standout tracks. There's not really a weak spot on this album. Yeah, and If I Ever Leave This World Alive is such a gut punch mm. because all of these songs are this big raucous party and then that one comes in and it's it's so heartfelt it's so um so sweet mm-hmm. you weren't expecting that kind of um just upfront blatant sen- sentimentality and it's it's a beautiful beautiful song they they this band switches gears so easily so smoothly yeah. like, it doesn't feel jarring when they go from something like swagger to you now if i ever leave this world i don't think those are the back-to-back tracks on this album but they shift gears like that quite a bit they'll have like a, a high energy kinetic song and then they'll switch to something that's more ballady and it, it's it's a band that really uh, organically works in all different types of instrumentation it's not just your standard uh, drums guitar bass like they got a mandolin in a lot of the tracks you'll hear things like like uh, like a flute 
uh, coming in a lot of the songs. So, uh, always like this this really fun, interesting Celtic rock band. Yeah, they say like on St. Patrick's Day, what like everybody's a little bit Irish. I mm-hmm. feel like if you listen to this album, you're a little bit Irish. Yeah, it's hard not to just uh, I don't know get caught up in it. It's it's definitely got its its vibe. It's doing its thing. Yeah. Um, a few more albums, and then we'll get out of here. But um, only one electronic slash ambient album, a band called Do Make Say Think. They released an album called And Yet And Yet. So it's a side project from a Canadian group called Broken Social Scene. Um, I love post-rock, so I, that's kind of why I want to bring this up. I just like post-rock music in general. This one's not so great, though. This one's sort of a... I don't know. It's, it's interesting that they did it. At its best, it's just kind of pleasant background music with... Um, a, it's like a 10-piece band, so there's a lot of different instrumentation you're hearing weave in and out. At its worst, I kid you not, it sounds like kind of an average high school band recital. Uh, there's just the album doesn't feel like it's going anywhere ever, and the songs just sort of start and end, and then another song starts and end. There's nothing, nothing cohesive. No one really sticks out as sounding particularly great. You're not like, oh man, the trumpet player really landed that one. You know, it's just it's just a bunch of music. It it doesn't feel like it's really worth even releasing i don't i really don't know like i think do make say think will make better albums down the line but just as it goes on this one like this is a free forgettable record um into the world of metal we shall go then right here we go do, do you have any metal albums you want to talk about i might why don't let's keep going through your list okay uh coheed and cambria i did listen to that one yeah second stage turbine blade is the name of their debut record uh, an interesting band. They're like a band that has one foot in the world of emo and one for, foot in the world of prog rock. It's, it's hard to describe their sound exactly. It's funny because, like, for my little description, I wrote like screamo slash indie rock question mark. Yeah, yeah. It, it's sort of like if Rush. I mean, I hate to say it, and it's not just because of his voice it sounds very uh, Getty Lee like. He has that very high pitched voice. You might even mm. think it was a woman. <laughs> They're kind um, of like an androgynous sound. There's yeah. another band. Mm-hmm. That we might mention that on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's, I think, uh, one, I love this record. I think it's a good, great, great record. Um, I think, do you know much about, did you even pay attention to the lyrics at all? Did any of what he's no, saying about make any sense? No. Even to their fans, I think their lyrics don't make sense. Because what he, the, the guy, the singer of the band, uh, is Claudio, he wrote this entire thing as sort of a space rock opera. So okay. all of the albums are telling this story, as I understand, of people like in our real time um, that discover faster than light travel and are traveling through space and time and just like doing all kinds of crazy things. All right. But essentially, it is a it is an American family that stumbles upon this. So the whole album is just weird. Lyrically, none of it makes sense. And you know, you go see them live, and there's people screaming along the lyrics to the band, and they probably have no idea what they're even talking about, unless they like, literally read the comic book side, like the comic book, what do you what do you call that? Additional content. <laughs> that uh, additional material? From yeah. The side material? Unless you're keeping up with Did that. it come with the album? Or do you have to like <laughs> buy this this supplementary, supplementary material? They came separately? out down the line. To, oh my god. I mean, because this just making stuff and, I, and I'm sure that he was probably documenting what all is happening in the narrative and the mm. it's very narr- the lyrics themselves are narrative enough that they kind of make sense but then he actually has the comic books that go alongside them that explain what's going all on right. and sort of like also like uh, comic books that are popular now like there's no superheroes it's not like you need to have a cape mm. uh, and you need to have an evil villain or anything it's just sort of like one, like, of, one of the more offbeat comic book narratives today like well like uh, we mentioned 
God, I think it was like uh, on the first half of the show we talked about video games, we talked about image comics and image comics. Like a couple of their the more like successful or noteworthy comics that have come out in the past decade are things like uh, Saga and Paper Girls, which are not about superheroes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know Paper Girls all that well, but that really is one that just from reading like the first volume, mm. probably actually pretty close to something like this. Um, I think, and just back to the album itself. Oh God, it's so catchy. It's so fucking catchy. Time Consumer, the opener is, is amazing. God Send Conspirator, uh, Devil in Jersey. These are great songs. And they have these hilarious sing-along moments that you're really not expecting to hit. But then it's just like, there's such grandeur to the way that everything is happening. And these huge build-ups. And it's wonderful. It's a delightful record. I really love this one. I liked it just fine. Tracks are long. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, you saying it's about a space opera. Yeah, that kind of makes sense then. But, and that's the other thing, is that a lot of them are like, it'll be a six-minute song, but that last 30 seconds has this payoff where it's just <laughs> like, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's good. I enjoyed it. Um, Electric Wizard uh, has an album called Let Us Pray, P-R-E-Y. Uh, we were actually just talking about an album of theirs a few years back called called Dope Throne, which is sort of like a top-tier, all-time great stoner rock record. And this is another one. It actually didn't get that well-received at the time. It, th- it got good reviews, but never, no one was like, this is a game-changer for the genre. And Music think, critics are dumb. What? Music critics are dumb, anyway. I think, that, I think that they kind of missed the point of this one. I think it's good, though. I, uh, Master of Alchemy and uh, Priestess of Mars are two real standouts. Again, really mammoth. And I think a lot of stoner metal is a little too genteel, believe it or not. I think a lot of it is too, like, high and laid back. Um, Electric Wizard, these guys are kind of pissed. They, they play in a way that makes them a little more aggressive than your usual stoner metal album. So I love this record. I think it's great. And for your most pissed off record of the month, I'm sure we have Hate Breeds Perseverance. Did you listen to this one by any chance? I might have. Yeah. That, that's the band? Hate Beats? Yep. What was the name of the album? Uh, Perseverance. It's a hardcore band. Um, this is their second album. They're like, yeah, just a really brutal, in-your-face kind of hardcore band that works in some sort of death metal mechanics. There was one metal band that I listened to that I didn't write down the name of the album. This might have been it. Yeah. With tracks Clearly like, made an impression. <laughs> with tracks like, I Will Be Heard and We Still Fight. Um, no, this is all very much. Um, I think it's empowering music to an extent. I think if you were to look at this band and, and listen to the, just add to read the cover of the book, it would be these are violent people who you shouldn't be around. And it's like, no, these aren't Pantera fans. <laughs> Hatebreed is its own thing. Hatebreed um, is very much um, about. There, there is definitely a bit of not elitism, but like you're either in the community or you're out. You know, it's a bit inside. Yeah, it's very much like if you're in this pit with us, you're the family. You're part of the family. You're part of this community of people. Um, but we'll get those people that that fuck with us hmm. kind of attitude, like gangsters. But like they don't do the gangster stuff of like selling drugs and having guns and shit. They're just you know, I don't know. I think that they're very much about uh, trying to find to try self empowerment um, and and not feeling weak. Um, again, it's hard to tell you that a band is positive and lovey-dovey with a song like Smash Your Enemies, um, but if you were to read the lyrics of a lot of what they're... They mean it violently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the enemy, of course, being self-doubt. <laughs> <laughs> the enemy being peer pressure. Yeah, no, I, I think that they really do want to make... Uh, uh, 
make their community, you know, tight. I guess it's hard, hard to get. Really, and who gives a shit what the message is on it? What it is is two and a half minute tracks of just beat down hardcore. It is really good. Uh, Hatebreed is really good. They are a band that just fucking goes. Um, I've seen them live a couple times. Truly insane pits. Like some of the nastiest pits you'll ever be a part of. Um, Did you hop in? Uh, I'm not. I, I'm no, I've. I am not really a in the pit doing windmills kind of guy. Like, I'll, I'll be, like, near the front of the stage at, at shows sometimes. Also, keep in mind, like, I'm in my late 30s now. I'm not really, like, fucking out there trying yeah, to do that to the kids. I go to shows constantly, but I'm not trying to prove anything Next week, Ryan doesn't show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's a lot of pop-punk bands have the gnarliest pits. Mm. Um, some people really go hard in those kind of pits. I don't know why, but that's how it is. Um, but, yeah, if Hatebreed came to town, I would be there for fucking sure. I just would not be in the middle of this you kind of look before a band starts by the way if it's a show where there's going to be a pit you kind of know you can kind of just look around at the crowd and sort of get a sense of how everyone's about to respond <laughs> you know brass knuckles i probably should go <laughs> yeah like if you're near like the biggest guys and they're not wearing shirts uh you're in a bad spot <laughs> if it's like a bunch of guys and their girlfriends or it's like you know a bunch of little like you know kind of like smaller guys that maybe are like you know five eight and like 150 pounds or whatever it's like okay i'll probably be all right here these guys aren't gonna go buck wild some uh, Poindexter in a polo shirt. <laughs> yeah, no, you get a, you get a sense, and, they, and you can tell they're eyeing you up too. Like, okay, is this the guy that's gonna just like start doing windmills for no reason, or is mm. this the guy that's gonna start like doing high kicks to make make a pit open up? It's like, it's I don't know. Is that thing windmills in a pit? Yeah, yeah. Like if you so there's this stuff called slam dancing that happens at hardcore shows. I'm not crazy about it because I think people, I I. I the venues that have punk shows are typically not very big venues in the first place. So if they open up a pit that's half the size of the room, that sucks. That's not really enough room for everybody to just kind of like sit there who just want to like enjoy the music. You know, I'm very much in a, of a more tightly confined pit and you don't need people just like fucking running around. Like I've literally, and it's if you're into that, you're into that, whatever, I don't care. You're like, there are people who go to this sort of thing because they want to experience that sort of energy. Some, yeah, some and people will literally just, like, if the pit's big enough, they'll just run right into the wall of people holding up the pit and then just, like, get pushed back into it. You know, like, I, haven't been, happens. I haven't been to a show in a long, long time. The last time I saw anybody live, I saw uh, Dropkick Murphys. And this was, like, fucking, God, it must have been 15 years ago. It's been a long time since I've been to a show. And, you know, there, there was a, a rowdy pit. This was over at, uh, I think it was at House of Blues. So yeah. there, there was, like, a balcony, and me and Des found a couch, and we just sat there and listened. The whole time, and, you know, and there are people who do things like singing along and uh, causing a ruckus and stuff. But you know, that wasn't what we were wanting to do. Yeah. So it was nice that there's like that separated space. Like you, you go do your thing down there. We're gonna find a couch. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, different, different, uh, different pits will have different vibes. It depends on what you're listening to. So, um, yeah, like Hatebreed is more of going to be like a traditional hardcore band. So you're gonna have a lot of circle pits and stuff like that. And, I don't know. It's uh, I'd, I'd love to, I've seen them before. I'd love to see them again. Um, it'd be fun. Uh, Soilwork releases a natural born chaos. This is another Swedish melodic death metal band. Uh, we talked about their album in two thousand one called Predator's Portrait, which I actually went back and listened to what I said about that because I listened to this album and I was like, this album kind of blows. And I, w- I actually spoke very highly to Predator's Portrait, and I was like, Wait, what was I even listening to then? And I went back and listened to it. And I stand by it. Predator's Portrait fucking slays. 
That album is so good. This album is so fucking washed out, though. Like, they got a keyboardist in the band. And if you were to, if you didn't listen to death metal, you'd be like, okay, this is pretty intense and aggressive. But it's like, if you listen to a lot of death metal, yeah, guys, guys softened up. This is, this is pretty tame. Good. Yeah, it's pretty tame. <laughs> it's it's been domesticated. Yeah, yeah. I think that, um, especially considering that we were just talking about The Haunted releasing a record, who are also from Sweden, and uh, In Flames had their uh, a classic album called Clayman come out, another Swedish band. I thought it was you Clayman. 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 <laughs> Clayman. <laughs> yeah, no, those are, those are fucking heavy records. Uh, this one just, eh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the band Down released Down to a Bustle in Your Hedgegrove. Um, this is, title. yeah, this band is famous because it's, it's Phil Anselmo, who was the singer for Pantera. And at this point, Pantera hasn't officially broken up. They were tired of their fans, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Court ordered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, we've said it before, and I'll, I'll say it again. Pantera has the absolute meanest fans in the world. They are just walking anger management issues. Um, that's a shame. But yeah, at any rate, uh, Pantera had not broken up just yet, but this is they had already released their last album. They would never tour again, and Phil Anselmo was focusing on this band, Down. Which he is making uh, with a couple of guys from the band Crowbar. We talked about Crowbar like six months ago. They released a great record at the time. Uh, but this is good. It's very much like Southern. Uh, they're from New Orleans. All of the band members are from New Orleans. So this is a very much a Southern rock inspired affair. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 it, well, well it's, it's 65 minutes long. It's not even 65 <laughs> minutes long. It's got its moments, but then there's just a lot of boring tracks. And they're doing a lot of different stuff. But there's really only a couple of, couple of, what would you say, moves this band has. They don't need to be doing everything. They really mm. should have just focused on making maybe, you know, again, like Hatebreed. Hatebreed gives you like 15 tracks, but they do it in 30 minutes, you know? like It's efficiency. Yeah, you didn't need to give me 65 minutes for 15 tracks. I mean, it's it's fine. It actually has some moments, but I, I can't really recommend it that uh, that much nor can i also recommend rhapsody's power of the dragon flame this is super over the top fantasy metal with all of the eight minute long tracks and three minute long guitar solos and operatic singing and uh the last track is 20 minutes long oh my god and it's like i was listening to that coheed and cambria record and i'm like okay this is a this is a really epic space opera i can kind of get behind its message it's kind of cool and then these ding dongs are over here <laughs> rapping about fire not rapping but like singing about like fucking dragons and stuff and it's like oh my god guys we, we had enough dragons with rain of fire uh, no, the book no, on, no 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 let, hear me out we can close the book on dragons now we have the definitive work okay that's fair okay yeah, you know, I'm we're just, done. Nobody else can. We'll do better. I'm right. just, you know, I'm just imagining these guys' parents are like, you know, survivors of, you know, the World dragon War. attack. <laughs> they're they're from they're from Italy, so they're like survivors of World War II. Probably some of them fascists complicit in the war itself. Uh-huh. And then they look at their sons, who are like wearing the fluffiest shirts, <laughs> singing about dragons, looking like absolute idiots. <laughs> they're like, we deserve to lose. <laughs> Look at what we've become. We're horrible. I feel like I've been so much meaner on the music this month. I don't know why. I don't know. One last album, All That Remains, releases uh, Behind Silence and Solitude. It's like a... It's supposed to be a metalcore band. There's some death metal stuff in it. Um, it doesn't sound great, and the album's not particularly, like, good. I mean, they... they 
have clearly listened to a lot of extreme music of the era and are trying to work it all in, but it hasn't really, it doesn't, it's, it's undercooked, I guess mm. I could say. Um, they're going to release better albums too. Um, All That Remains is a long-running and very successful band and will be into the 2000s, but you're not catching them at their best here. It's their debut. They're figuring shit out. It's whatever. Did you have, um, As the Sun Sets, their album 7074 on your list? Or 7744? As the Sun Sets? No, I don't. Uh, that one, I, I, I mean, I know to... them. That's a, that's a good band. Um, Kind of like a, a screaming thrash metal, maybe. I'm not super familiar with how to categorize these things. Um, there, there is a track. There's a standout track for, for me on this one. It's called Noise Track, but it's the most melodic one on the album. It's, it's really, I think it's like the, maybe the third or the fourth track. Uh, and then like the, the two final tracks are 77 and 44, are two separate tracks on the last one. Uh, but these are like super quick. Like little metal, uh, harsh metal tracks. Sometimes you get like a little ambient music intro. Interesting album. Had a good time listening to that one. Yeah, I actually haven't listened to this band in a, quite a while, but I, I, I know them, and I know this album seventy seven forty four pretty well. It's good. It's a great record. Yeah, it's like a, it's like mathcore. Again, mm. it's it's like if you took the conventions of, of hardcore and mixed it like if so, maybe somewhere between hate breed and hella, you've got <laughs> as the sun sets. Hmm. All right, what else we got? That's it. Oh, we're done. That's all, that's all the music I have. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So, album of the month. I mean, I, I think, like, for me, if I were to nominate three, it'd be Taking Back Sunday against me and Flogging Molly. I think it's against me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I This a, Against Me record may be my favorite album of the year. And what comes to longevity. Well, we do have and that. Um, we got um, Bad Religion. That was a great record. Mouthfeel. <laughs> yeah, you have to sing it to get the mouthfeel. I'm so tired. I, I'm spewing nonsense. No, it's, it's a legit metric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that if, if I if I can do this, this is kind of sound shitty. I will say that Bad Religion made the best punk record, but Against Me may have just made the best record. Mm. No, for me, it's got to be like, yeah, for sure. That Against Me record, probably Hatebreed. Honestly, that Hatebreed record does fucking slay. And yeah, I would probably just give it to Taking Back Sunday or Flogging Molly. They're... What about the worst album? Worst album of the month. Um, maybe the saddest is Songs Ohio. It's not that bad. Uh, Simple Plan is just so cheesy. Yeah, Simple Plan was just I don't know. cringy. I feel, yeah, actually, I know that I bring it up. I think I would rather be caught listening to Celine Dion. Simple Plan. Roll down your windows and sing, I'm Just a Kid. <laughs> it's like a fucking 38 year old man listening to this track. No, if, like, if, if I'm listening to Celine Dion, people might pause and think, like, hmm, maybe there's something to Ryan that I didn't think no, was there. There. But if it's like Simple Plan, it's like he's everything I thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so I think we decided uh, against me. Album of the month uh, for sure is it, reinventing sure. Axl Rose. So uh, films. Let's talk about some movies. That for came sure. Out in March two thousand two. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, anybody watch Forty Days and Forty Nights? I did not. A long time ago. I did not either. I did watch it a long time ago as well. This is one that uh, Harrison yeah. Ford and Anne Heche. Is that the one I'm talking, thinking of? No, no. no this is actually, the, no. this is the Josh Hartnett comedy. That's seven days and seven nights, I think. Yeah, yes. something like that. This is a Josh Hartnett comedy. Okay. In which he uh, has erectile dysfunction after his girlfriend breaks up with him. And for whatever reason, he decides for 40 days he's not going to have sex or masturbate. Okay. He's just going... 
Yeah. It's, it's, hands it's, off. No, no November for 40 days. And this is a movie that was sort of like, at the time, I guess people were just like, whatever. But if you watch it now, it's like got an unholy punchline that I don't think flies with today's vibe. Uh, because essentially what happens is he... You know, he does this thing where it's like he's not going to have sex, or yada, yada, yada. And he's trying like, to, like, revitalize like, and refocus himself. Yeah, so but he's, like, losing his mind. Like, the guy has no self-control. Mm. He's, like, losing his mind by the punchline. Like, yeah, and, and basically, like, the girlfriend ends up... He, his ex-girlfriend, he sort of ends up trying to get back with her. Like, she kind of realizes, like, he was not a bad guy after all or something. And then his ex... Like, another woman ends up straight up, like, raping him. Oh, God. Yeah, and then she walks in on that and is like, oh, you weren't committed to this at all after all, huh? And then, you know, he has to go win her back. Am I remembering this correctly? Isn't that kind of how it plays out? Basically, he he's like uh, he's like about to hit the midnight. I don't know why I remember so much does, about Does this. he get drugged or something? No, he's he's about to hit midnight and his 40 days and nights are about to be over. And he's like, he's like I don't trust myself. So he handcuffs himself to this bed. And then he has a dream about, you know, banging some chick. And she slips in while he's asleep and bangs him. And okay. she's like, well, I started all this rapes thing. Rapes well. Yeah, rapes bangs him. him. Not, not consensual. They fornicate. They fornicate. <laughs> <laughs> they engage in maritals. Yeah. Yes. So this, I mean, what else do you have to say about it? Anything else about the movie? Like I mean, it's a terrible movie. I remember. Yeah. I'm surprised I remember as much as I do about it. <laughs> oh, I yeah, don't so think I've ever heard of this movie till now. It's got Mike Morona in it, famed Big Pete of uh, Adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh, that's that's two months in a row we've talked about movies with and some Pete, and Pete the, alums. The, the last month will ever. <laughs> I hate to say it. This was like a his career was very short lived. Oh, they're they're gonna break the streak. That's sad. Yeah. Uh, also. Given it, when I tell you the other movies this director has made, it's like a shame that this exists because he also did Heather's and Airheads, mm. two of the best comedies ever made. Like I don't know about you guys, I think Heather's is fucking incredible. Yeah, it's one really of the good. most subversive. I know nothing about it. Oh, it's it's a good one. It's that's a, a that's a double feature, Heather's and Airheads. Yeah, actually, it really is. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, Michael Lehman really struck out with this movie. It's just bad. I don't know why. You, what the hell? Why? I wonder why if they were trying to like chase some of the. God damn it! Chase some of the success of something like an American Pie, where you know go for like this this raunchy, I guess humor and chase it and struck out. Yeah, and well, we get the guy from Pearl Harbor to, to, to do uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> That's the only guy that matters in that movie. No, 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 no! I'm so sorry. I have bad news. <laughs> it's Josh Hartnett, our boy Josh Hartnett. Okay, a friend uh, of the show, Josh Hartman. What do you think a movie like that uh, would have cost to make? Oh God, uh, even I'll go first. Go ahead. I'll, I'll say uh, twenty million. Twenty million. What do you got? Twelve. Ooh, somewhere right in the middle of that. Seventeen. Okay. Seventeen. Uh, what do you think it made in the box office? Who was up for a rape comedy? <sighs> oh. Did this make his money back? How popular has Josh Hartman ever been? Jeez, I think it probably made its money back. I will say thirty million. 40. 40. It did better than you guys would have thought. 95. Ooh. Oh, good for them. It didn't yeah. do that bad. And again, I think for whatever reason, um, I think that it's probably the attitude of men can't be raped. That was mm. sort of a mentality from 2002. Mm. Uh, I feel like nowadays you can't. I mean, he was basically raped. But I mean, it's not like fucking girl with the dragon tattoo kind of like intensity. Oh, that was, that was graphic. That was graphic. Well, I mean, it wasn't like that. It was, it was, that, that guy earned it. 
but you know, it was it was non consensual. Like there are like degrees to this thing. Like did did the same thing happen to him? No, it wasn't the same thing as Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but yeah. it was still something non-consensual. It's basically rape, but I mean, he didn't like... It wasn't a nice surprise. He didn't call he rape and call the cops. Like, it was just... Maybe he should have. He probably should have, but... And I remember there was a very tactless... That scene, is he's in a dream sequence as it's yeah. happening, and a very tactless thing, I want to say, of literally someone like opening a washing machine and water spilling out. It's yeah. supposed to be him achieving orgasm. Okay. Gross. And yeah. weird. Yeah, uncomfortable. Okay, uh, the, the whole reason why she did was there's like a pool going, in, and so she she made money. People were making bets about when he would get in, and so she made money. Oh, she raped for money. That makes yeah, it she, fun. Yeah, yeah, it's really messed up. Great. Yeah, it's really. We were soldiers. Also came out. I did not watch that one. Um, you didn't. I I wouldn't have watched it. I didn't watch it either. I don't really care to. Um, it is uh, tells the events of the Vietnam War, a specific event in the Vietnam that kind of mirrors a Black, or a Black Hawk Down, which is a movie we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, except I think this one probably is, it seems like what people are saying is that it tries to be, have much more of like a human approach where there's like characters in it and you're, they're not all the same faceless jarheads. Um, Some like Casualties of War, that Brian De Palma one. Do you I don't know? think I know that movie though. Uh, uh, it's got but, but, Michael, Michael J. Fox. Okay. And he's uh, he's in Vietnam and it's a story about the... Like, Cuba Gooding Jr. No, sadly. That would have a great cast, though. But they, uh, they, it's, uh, I'm, I won't spend too much time on Casualties of War. It's a Brian De Palma movie. Marjorie Fox stars in it. It's a, a squad of troops in uh, the Vietnam War. And, of course, a very cynical look on war. No one's really a fan of the Vietnam War. If you want to make an anti-war movie, it's a good place to do it. But this group of soldiers engages in very inhumane acts to the people who are like, whose country they are invading. Um <laughs> Because I understand my, that this is very, uh, this, this is very much like whitewashes America's involvement in the Vietnam War. Uh oh. This is not an America was bad mm-hmm. kind of movie. Mm-hmm. The cast, including um, Mel Gibson, Greg Kinnear, Sam Elliott, Chris Klein. Uh, Chris Klein, fresh again. off of Rollerball. Holy shit. <laughs> um, also, uh, Barry Pepper, our boy Barry Pepper, made, oh, nice. made a mistake. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> Barry <laughs> Pepper is perfect, you motherfucker. <laughs> uh, uh, Battlefield Earth. I stand by it. <laughs> uh, Madeline Stowe and uh, Carrie Russell are also in it as like military wives back mm. at, back at the base, quote unquote. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I uh, I watched. I just, I don't know why I did this, but I was just like, let me see what this thing has. I watched just the battle sequences. Okay, I just wanted to see what this movie was going to be in terms of just a just a battling kind of movie because Black Hawk Down was a two hour and forty minute fight. Um, I was like, all right, let me just see this thing distilled in like 10, 15 minutes. And yeah, it was a Vietnam War battle movie. That you could clearly see faces on people, so it had one up on Black Hawk Down. Now, again, that was the one major complaint I would have about Black Hawk Down is that everybody was like the same guy. Mm. You know, it was just hard to distinguish who anybody was really because they were all sort of the same mission-driven, trying to stay alive type people. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know. Why would you watch this movie? It's so dumb. Uh, made by Randall Wallace, uh, the guy that made Man in the Iron Mask. If that means anything right. to anybody. So yeah, sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So not a terrible movie by any stretch. Just um, I don't know. I think there's probably way better war films to watch. Sure, uh, but even not better war, even better not war films that may have Barry Pepper in them. It's <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, budget. This is a Mel Gibson war movie. Wes, you go first oh, this time. God. Oh. oh. Is Mel Gibson married to Carrie Russell? Please say no. 
in oh, this movie. Okay, thank God. Oh wait, you mean as the character? I didn't watch the I didn't watch the marriage oh, okay. part of it. I told you I watched the battle sequence. I, I just hope like <laughs> it's, they're they're not trying to convince like Mel Gibson married Carrie Russell in oh. this movie because there's I, like a at least a twenty year age gap between the two of them. I would probably if it was any of the women, it would probably be Madeline Stowe. Mm. All right, let's go crazy. Fifty million. Fifty. I'm gonna 50. go higher. I'll go sixty. Seventy-five. Ooh, <laughs> pricey. Budget or not budget? Uh, box office. Oh, I'm gonna say May is money. One twenty-five. Oh, do I go higher or lower than that? That's a good guess. Um, I will go higher. I'll go one thirty-five. One fifteen. So good for, ooh, oh, yeah. there you go. Ten mil off. Mm-hmm. I I actually didn't even write the director or notes about it, but I have the film The Time Machine. Yes. Did you watch this? I did not. No, no, of course did not. Did you watch this? No, you, I didn't watch any of this. Do you know anything about this? No, never know. Nobody knows. I, I, have, I have seen this, but of course, closer to when it came out. It's like a, what was H.G. Uh, Wells, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say Jules Verne, but H.G. Wells is probably the the actual, like, it, it's, it's as an adaptation of like a, a story or a novel or something, and I can't remember who who our lead actors are in this movie. Was it Guy Pierce? Right. And Orlando Orlando Jones. Is oh, I was about to say Bloom. I was like, what? Orlando, yeah, it's, uh, I was just It's not Orlando Jones is a great actor. I was just kind of funny seeing him in this movie. Jeremy Irons is in it as well. Get this, May, directed by a guy named Simon Wells, who I believe is like a great grandson of H.G. Wells or something. Oh, good for him. So yeah, how about that? Yeah. It, Look like a, a family adventure comedy kind of thing. I don't know. I didn't care to revisit. And then I'll just tell you the numbers on it. It cost eighty million. Oof. An expensive movie, and it made one twenty-seven. Okay, so cost money back more than the Mel Gibson War movie. Yeah, yeah. On both ends, cost more and made more. So next on the list, we got Ice Age. Yes, Ice Age, huh? The animated film. Ray Romano probably at the height of his popularity. He had that sitcom. Yeah. Um, you also have a what, Jean Leguizamo. Jean Leguizamo playing the sloth, said the sloth. Dennis Leary. Uh, yeah. Stephen the... Root, Alan Tudyk. Oh, nice. Great, great voice acting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With Steve, uh, Stephen Root. I just saw him. He was in the, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, which I totally <laughs> forgotten about. Yeah. Me and Mia does this a few nights ago. Rewatched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not <laughs> the TV movie. show, but the, but the movie. The movie's like, great. Yeah. That movie is so fucking wild. With Luke it's, Perry. It, it, yeah, Luke Perry, like, uh, pretending to be like, around a similar age as a high school student he is not and I'll tell you what like he shows up at the dance yeah. at the very end of the movie and he's got his hair slicked back it ages him he looks fucking 30 and he's supposed <laughs> to be at this high school dance it is not a good scene uh, but that movie is so much fucking fun uh, Rutger Hauer uh, as, as like the band of fucking um, Paul is Paul Rubens in it? not, not Paul Alan Cummings Alan Cummings Alan Cummings oh is he the one that has the vampire death at the end? At the, yeah as the credits are rolling they have just like the long the overdone death of the one character rolling on the ground just writhing <laughs> right. but I'll tell you what the, the two standout for me were uh, Steve, Stephen Root who yeah. plays the principal and he has he's only got a couple of scenes but one of them is seen he's having a conversation with Buffy in the principal's office and he just like you, we witness this man having this existential crisis and it is sublime yeah um it is truly tremendous to, to like see him having this conversation with a high school student and like re-examining his entire life as he's delivering a few lines of dialogue. It's really good. And my other favorite character you might remember is the basketball coach, mm-hmm. who's just like this. There's very much like this this uh, pita hippie, like 
let's all just try our best out there. Mm-hmm. Basketball coach, all, like, and all these like high school bars are like really trying hard to win whatever championships they're trying to win. And he's like, this doesn't matter in your life. Let's just all love each other. And it's so fucking good. I want a movie about the two of them. <laughs> anyway. Classic. That has nothing to do with Ice Age. I was about to say, what the fuck's going on? That's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. So yeah, um, what would you say about... So I guess for starters, we should bring up the fact that this is uh, a 20th Century Fox film. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is made after the box office bomb and closure of their hand-drawn animation studio from Titan AE. Yep. They have abandoned the idea of making drawn animation anymore. Uh, and they're Planet like, Bob is closed for business. Yeah, let's make these cheap-ass movies in 3D. Hey, yeah. y'all, y'all have to live on Bob if you don't want to. <laughs> yeah. So... And then the general premise, it's like uh, a, a buddy road trip kind of thing. You have these three characters who, reason, shouldn't, yeah. who shouldn't be together. I watched this movie, right? Because mm-hmm. I'd never seen this before. And it's like three of these prehistoric creatures who shouldn't be friends but are now friends have to look after a baby <laughs> um, and return a baby to ancient man or mm-hmm. something. Like this ain't, they're supposed to be these proto-humans or whatever. Pre- yeah, to the prehistoric to tribe. Man. Yeah, you got so your the, the woolly mammoth. He's like your loner. He doesn't want to be on the road trip. Ray, the Ray Romano guy, right? Uh, yeah. The then the Dennis Leary character. He's supposed to be like this foil. He's, yeah, he's supposed to be one of the bad saber tooth tigers um, who's like being a turncoat, who's like pretending to befriend them, but who's going to sell them out at the end. Mm-hmm. But then decides, you know what? They're pretty cool and, and f the other dudes. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah they they all have like this this uh, arc to their characters. I'm probably like more successful or convincing arcs than a lot of the other like live action movies that we've mentioned where Ray Romano learns that like hey it might not be so bad to hang out with other living creatures and Dennis is like hey maybe I don't have to be a homicidal murderer and John Leguizamo is like maybe I'm not as annoying as I seemed at the beginning oh you're giving this movie like way too much credit though this is like I'm not saying it's good this I'm is just saying like, they, they, they attempted something I don't know I've seen a more threadbare movie like keep in mind we were just talking about that friggin Return to Neverland movie that Peter Pan one that was like barely 70 minutes mm-hmm. long that was at least a full start to finish 70 minute story this one is 70 minutes long and it has like an opening vignette and a closing vignette with about the, the some squirrel. Yeah, some stupid fucking squirrel in a, in a like a like an acorn or something. Mm. Like I give a shit. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It's, it's clearly the, 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 in, in a silly movie. It is the dumbest, most meaningless part of it. The, yeah, they couldn't. But that's where people like obsess. I mean, people love that fucking squirrel, which is weird. They yeah, should. It's very odd. But yeah, I mean, minions are more tolerable than that squirrel. That, that became like to the point where people are here Ice Age, and all they know is that fucking squirrel. Who hears about the other guys. Right, this is a franchise. Like there are like oh yeah, eighty million movies. Yeah, and I don't know it's if like they three. get. I can only assume there's nowhere to go but up. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's more than three. Okay, yeah. but yeah, this one struggled to tell anything resembling a story in like fifty-eight minutes. They couldn't tell a story. Like oh my god, and yeah, yeah, it's it's like this the dumbest, most low effort story and it's like I, I, I would imagine the worst Land Before Time movie is probably better than this and there's like 18 Land Before Time movies they've made some bad ones I'm sure just um, make just watch Monsters Inc if you want to watch two dudes struggling with a little girl yeah. <laughs> and probably the moment where I knew that like that didn't sound right I didn't like that. No, 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 no. I don't want to say it again. I need, I need to process that. No, thought, no, right? I don't want to. That didn't. Ugh. It's like Ted Danson and Steve Gutenberg and that other guy, Tom Selleck. Mm-hmm. It's three dudes struggling with a little, little lady. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Any great. 
I need Purell for my mouth. <laughs> I don't like that mouthfeel. I don't like it. Well, there, there was a great montage using the Arrested Roots song, Send Me On My Way, which is just mm. one of those uh, earworm songs that's just so unbelievably catchy. If you don't like that song, you just hate fun. Um, and yeah, they had to even slap in a montage song in the middle of the fucking movie. Like, so stretch it out. out. You got, yeah, yeah, you got like, they're, they're, it's, oh my god. I don't know. How much do you think this I found it inoffensive, but I'm not going to stand up for it as a good movie. I don't oh. think it's good. Chris Chris Wedge directs this movie, and not that he's a particularly interesting director, but he his earliest credits, he was uh, part of the production studio or pr- production crew for the film Tron. Hmm. This guy's got okay. all kinds of really interesting film credits, not as a director, but just as involved in production of um, special effects. Hmm. So... That's, that's kind of cool. I don't, again, I think a, a lot of these other animated movies we've talked about, like getting our director's credit, doesn't really mean shit. I wonder um, if um, it would be interesting to, not that interesting, but interesting enough to like sit in on like what production meetings for this movie would have been like. Because if you're getting your feet wet, like a CG animated movie, okay, well, you know, we, we want to have like these these interesting character models, but we don't have the resources or the talent to make these really intricate mm-hmm. landscapes. So what's something that's that's low scope let's just make everything out of ice it's an ice age movie everything's just snow and ice that's a good point that's probably very um, you don't have to not intense uh, you don't have to have very high achievers I, I you know I didn't even think to give this movie any notes on whether or not it actually looks any good no I mean it's it's video game cutscenes look better than this shit it's really bad uh, Luigi's Mansion looks better yeah Luigi's Mansion's got a lot of detail in it you mm-hmm. know, this one, no no this one's just not a ugh Thumbs down. Budget. I went first last time. Oh yeah, I'm going first this time. It's a CG movie. I don't know. It, it, it's an animated movie in 2002. I'm gonna say 40 million. 40. I'm actually only gonna go 25. 25. Uh, 60. Or well, 59 oh, right, to be exact. But yeah. Pricey. Because this is not like a nice looking movie. Okay. You think anyone actually went to the box office to see this? I, I sure oh, do. Dear oh, God. Well, I sure what do. What do you think the box office is? 160 million. Oh, I was going to go like 250. I mean, Ooh. something absurd. It's like animated do movie as Ice Age. Do it. Look. Say 250. Sure, let's go for it. 383. Oh, yeah. See, I was originally going to go three. Oh. 383 million. No wonder they make more of these things. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah, the people went and saw this instead of the time machine. Collar pull. I know, right? All right, next movie I got on my list, Resident Evil. Hell yeah. Yeah, made by... What a trash movie. (laughs) Our boy, Paul W.S. Anderson, famed director of Mortal Kombat, Event Horizon. Event Horizon, what a film. Goddamn. Mortal Kombat, what a film. Indeed. Prior to this, I had a very high expectation. Like, me at this time, like in my life, couldn't have been more excited about this movie existing. One, Paul Anderson is there. Love you, dude. You're amazing. Uh, Mila Jovovich I'm obsessed with her like like fucking Fifth Element is amazing yeah. and I love Resident Evil I just this, love this movie the property had everything I, it I had think, everything going I for I think it. the Fifth uh, Element is the only movie I like that girl in <laughs> like, I probably because you kept on making movies with Paul W.S. Anderson <laughs> she was in Zoolander <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I forgot about that I, I, I wasn't prepared to be put on the spot but I've seen a ton of her like Return to Blue Lagoon she's in Return to Blue Lagoon mm. like I've seen a bunch of her movies um, you know she's not necessarily a standout in a lot of things no. but yeah you know Fifth Element like that, Fifth Element, that's she, it yeah she slays everybody slays yeah, that was great um, but anyway anyway yeah this movie was, was so disappointing in my opinion like 
because it doesn't really nail anything that I liked from what any of these things were individually. Right. Like, Mila Jovovich's performance is so wooden. Like, she's not cool at all in it. She's just sort of there, and she's like an amnesiac or something. Like right, and, and it's such like a um, mm-hmm. bad... It's, it's a bad narrative device to have your main character just be an amnesiac and having to, to follow this person as the person you're like latching onto to figure out what's going on in this movie. Yeah, and the way that she would see, steal scenes in something like Fifth Element, she's just sort of as a prop throughout this whole fucking movie. Mm. And like Resident Evil, in my opinion, already had a good story. Like if you played the games, it's a great story. Like this movie really is so disconnected from that entirely. And I believe from what I've heard, and they, they say like, this is supposed to be a prequel, but it's like they, there is a fucking prequel. It's called Resident Evil Zero. Yeah. Like they made a prequel and it was about the events leading up to it. Like it's, you know, they just never bothered to even try until literally here we are in 2023, like last year, they finally actually made a Raccoon City style like Resident Evil movie. And it's low budget, but hey, you know what? At least it looks and feels right. And like, it's fun. Yeah, they're able to have fun with the, the property that they're using. T- take, I'm ranting. I'm just ranting. Take over. Tell me, tell me what do you think about it. Uh, it's, it's not good. It's a bad movie. Because <laughs> uh, like you're saying, like, it, it doesn't do anything that's fun about the, the property it's supposed to be an adaptation of. So, and, and you know, like, it, it's... If you're just to make, like, a... a frame-for-frame movie make of this game. It wouldn't be a good movie either. Like, it's a video game. They're, like, you're, you're picking up a key and finding out what doors you can open. Oh, with. Like, yeah, right. it, it wouldn't be a good movie. Yeah. But, like, the things, the iconic things that you like about Resident Evil, like, the mansion and having, like, the zombies walking down the hallways and, like, the, and the dogs, like, some of these things will make an appearance. But like, hey, remember the Resident Evil mansion? We got Mila Jovovich. She's gonna wake up in it. She's gonna find some clothes because she's always fucking naked whenever she wakes up. Um, and here we go. Now we're in the mansion. And then like people, apropos of nothing, crash through the windows. Like, hey, you remember this mansion you love? We're not gonna be here anymore. Now we're leaving. <laughs> and and you, you remember like the zombies? Like zombies? You love zombies? Zombies are all over Resident Evil. They're walking down every hallway. You're not gonna see them till 45 minutes into the movie. Right, uh, and then there's like this evil girl who's like a hologram of a computer, and she's supposed to be the antagonist, but she's also working with them. Like, right, the, that's the, so dumb. Nothing about this movie like tracks as a compelling narrative. Like, you're not even sure what it is that they're trying to do there. Like, what is the goal? What are the stakes of this movie? Until a good ways into it, and like it turns into like she's trying to get the virus from Umbrella to give to someone else so that they can expose Umbrella, which is kind of like the Wesker character arc, except he was doing it for nefarious purposes. And why would you try to, like, steal this thing and unleash it in the world anyway? And there's this other guy who's an amnesiac who then realizes, like, oh, yeah, I was the bad guy the whole time. And then he, like, he was the one that unleashed the virus in this underground bunker that they're working in. Well, you know what's funny is that actual novels, if you read the books in the series, that actually is where they take it, that there kind of becomes this underground resistance mm. that our freedom fighters trying to expose Umbrella. Mm-hmm. And Umbrella's got these crazy machinations where they're trying to just hunt them all down. And that's something that they explore in the video games as well as you get like past Resident Evil 4. There are different organizations, some like paramilitary organizations, some are underground organizations that uh, Chris and Claire and Jill and all like and Leon, all the, the different Resident Evil characters, the iconic ones get involved in one way or another. Yeah. Not Steve. Steve is dead. Thank God. 
Mm-hmm. So this this movie did not <laughs> this didn't deserve my emotional investment, and no. yet I was so much at the time, and I just remember being so mad. Yeah, it, it was. And going back and watching it now, like I, I, I try to just take it on its own terms and see if it was at least just if it didn't have anything Resident Evil, if there was no Umbrella Corporation, is it still at least an okay movie? And no, no, no it's no, not. It's, it's not. just it's bad. No, it's, it's, it's a really bad, bad Resident Evil adaptation, and it's yeah. a bad action movie. Like there's nothing particularly good about either end of that and you don't get you don't get Wesker you don't get Chris you don't get Jill you don't get Leon you don't get any of like the things that you know from Resident nobody finds a rocket launcher at the end and blasts the the tyrant in the face with that like you don't get any of the things that make it special and even at the end when they get the one guy and it's like nah we're putting him in the whatever program, the nemesis the program. nemesis program it's like you didn't have to say that right don't do all this shit You're to just, me and yeah, then tell me you care like no fuck you Fuck everything about this. It's I, th- so I think bad. they, I think they did try to. Um, th- this, Ugh. of course, becomes a franchise for our listeners in six installments. And yeah, like if and I if I remember correctly, oh no, they're all bad. Of all of the six movies, this one has made. They're all going to turn a profit. This one turned the least profit of all of them. This is like a crazy successful series. Yeah, and I think the uh, the second one, the one that will be coming out course after this one uh will be a little bit better with actually taking some of like the things that you recognize from resident evil and putting as i recall like jill valentine is actually in it jill is carlos is in it Mm -hmm. Um, their nemesis is in it it's still not a good movie yeah oh i was just yeah 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 okay uh movie of the month budget Ooh. oh i think it's your turn to go first Remember, a guy did get turned into cubes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the, the laser grid. That was that's how lasers work. I don't know. Forty-five. <laughs> I'm gonna go lower. I'll say thirty-five. Thirty-three. Yes. Ooh. Thirty-three. Uh, box office. I already told you it turns a profit. It does. I'll go seventy. I'm gonna go lower again. Sixty. One hundred three. Oh, good for them. Ooh. Did well. Yeah, good for yeah. them for making money on a shit movie. It, it, it did really well for itself. Um, give, give them that. Um, moving on. Uh, Ituma Matebien. Do you guys ever seen or heard of this? I've heard of it. I've never seen him. Alfonso Cuaron made it. Mm-hmm. The guy behind, like, fucking Children of Men and the third Harry Potter film, Gravity. I love this director. Um, it's nothing... All of those films I just named are science fiction or fantasy. This is um, This is just a... Drama. It's a it's a drama about two. It's on it's on two space. guys. No, it's a road trip film. I guess you could mm-hmm. say it's a very talky road trip film in Spanish. Um, but yeah, it's about these two guys whose girlfriends are out of town and they decide they're going to take a little road trip. Um, they end up picking up a woman who um, joins them on it, and it's just a lot of um, it's a lot of like I don't know relationship stuff and conversations and. Kind of uh, how um, infidelity changes people and changes relationships. Um, and it has this very haunting punctuation of an ending. Um, I wouldn't want to spoil any of it. I think it goes to a lot of interesting places. And it is one where it's uh, as, as peaceful a movie as it is. It has got some emotional violence to it. Um, I would recommend it. Um, but also at the same time, it's not really the sort of movie. It's not not a. I remember watching this literally probably two thousand four with a group of people, and I think it was not the right movie for that. I don't know why mm. anyone recommended we watch this movie together as a group. It is uh, 
very, very dry and methodical. And then with stuff that happens in it, you're just like, well, that's fucking weird. I want to process this privately. Like, why are we, why do we have to talk about what just happened now? Mm. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, it, it's cool. It's, it's, it's an interesting footnote for his career. Oh, also like, a, um, what, what was it? Secret, like Alfonso Cuaron also made Secret Garden, um, hmm. which was a film that he made prior to this. That's very, very good. It's about a young girl and, um. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if you had been following. She finds a secret garden. Yeah, I mean it's, it's based on a book. If you had been following this guy's career, that was you, made out of the garden. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, I mean if you had been following him in his films, like you would just become increasingly excited about every movie he makes. Like he's yeah. so so good. I love him as a director. He's really good. Um, I really like um, Children Man. Yeah. One of my favorite movies. Yeah. Really really good. And well, Gravity is like completely devoid of story. Mm. Gravity is just like a fingernail and armrest like kind of survival movie there's barely any time for her to experience anything right and you, you more than just to, like i need to not die right now you do have to let go of what um what you probably know about space and how gravity works it's it's not like supposed to be like an accurate representation of what things or how things actually happen in space like no this is a very like uh, a kinetic movie there's a lot of things happening all at once yeah well, given the, that you guys haven't seen it, I'll just tell you it was a very brisk or very very sparse budget of five million, and it made thirty three. Um, there you go. So good, good for him. He did all right there. Um, okay, next, uh, Blade Two. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie, and I was, I was not able was to catch up on it this time. I was trying to remember what happens in Blade Two. I, can't... I don't know what happened in Blade One. I don't remember hardly anything about the. Well, they were trying to bring create a new blood god. Well, it's, it's got a uh, well-known <laughs> British actor Wesley Snipes. Yes, the famed Brit Wesley Snipes, <laughs> famed uh, tax evader Wesley Snipes. <laughs> okay, um, like so, uh, the the general pitch of this, and it's not a bad idea for a premise of a of a movie. It actually very much resembles that vampire hunter D bloodlust that we talked about, where. Um, there's like a big bad vampire that's just making life difficult for people. Um, and uh, Blade is trying to hunt him with a group of vampire hunters who are trying to, who had been to that point trying to hunt Blade. Mm. So it's sort of like my, you know, my my enemy's enemy kind the of strange scenario. bedfellows. Yeah, they have like this little truce. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm having a flashback now of that one. One of them is Patton Oswalt. No, he's actually, <laughs> that's a, that's true. Let's play Trinity. Oh, right. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. Which is a genuinely enjoyable one. I actually like that one. Uh, at any rate, let's beside the one. But this is based on a, a Marvel comic character. Yes. Yes, it is, in fact. Um, I don't recall there really being anything uh, Mar- Marvel tie-ins. I don't even recall anybody wearing like a Punisher shirt or nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, f- I feel like there were no tie-ins to the actual um, Marvel franchise. Um, and really, it's just a vehicle for Wesley Snipes. And by the way, he sucks in this movie. He's garbage. He is so low effort, low energy, and like low charisma. He's, he's not bringing his, his demolition man energy to it. He's boring. As, yeah, God, demolition dude. man. That's a good point. Where it's, it's like I saw that after Blade. I was like, what the fuck is the? <laughs> what is happening right now? Like he gets to go big in that. There's literally like one scene. I don't remember a line of dialogue from Wesley Snipes in this whole fucking movie. And there's just one scene where he like kind of snaps at one of the. Uh, other vampire hunter guys where he just like just is weird is weird for a hot minute like I don't know if you guys remember Batman that well but do you remember that one scene where Michael Keaton kind of freaks out it's like it's like that he just has this one moment where he's actually doing something as a character and it's really surprising 
I don't remember that from the original Batman. Oh, yeah. Because it's dumb. I don't know. At any rate. He's going to be in the new Flash movie. Is he? That's cool. I mean, I guess that's cool. I don't know. As Batman? Yeah. Oh, neat. <laughs> um, that So, it, it is pretty kind of grisly as a movie. Like, uh, Guillermo del Toro directed this, by the way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. He totally directed this movie. Um, so, the action sequences are actually pretty fun. Um, and they're kind of grisly. There's some gruesome vampire kills in this. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, but everything else is kind of kind of dull and stupid, and I really didn't. I don't know why this was a thing, but uh, uh, <laughs> there's, there's some back to back directors that we just talked about. I, I know I, when I was looking at this directors list, I was like, oh my god, this is, this is crazy. Um, it wasn't gonna. Roger Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars. All right. What do you like? What is this? Just guy's to give, give it the fourth star, you coward. <laughs> three and a half. Fuck you. I, I sometimes I wonder if he even watched the movies he released. <laughs> like I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. Three point uh, two five stars. Yeah. All right, that was all right. That's, so obviously, okay. that joke landed really well. No, that was great. That was great. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll move on then. Um, yeah, this is just, it's, it's kind of boring and forgettable and stupid. I didn't really care about it. Uh, budget. Oh, is it my turn or yours? I think it's yours. Okay. We'll say um, yours. I got no for idea. Blade 2, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say there's a big budget movie. I'll say 60 million. I'll go 70. 54. Okay. And, and box office? Lots. Lots and lots of money. Especially after Blade 1. I mean, it has to be after Blade One. Yeah. Only where, only place to go is a hundred eighty million. I'll go flat two. Uh, One fifty five. All right. But they yeah, pretty close, pretty close to the pin, both of you. Um, all right. Uh, now Death to Smoochie. Speaking of great directors, this yeah. was directed by Danny DeVito. Uh huh. I've never seen this, but it's always been on my list. I just never got around to it. So mm-hmm. Death to Smoochie is about the seedy underbelly of children's television programming. <laughs> Uh, it, it um, the, the general setup is Robin Williams plays this character Rainbow Randolph. Ray, like, yeah, Rainbow Randolph, and a beloved kids character. A beloved kid, yeah. kids character of a, of a kids television program. He's like uh, Barney the Dinosaur kind of thing. He sings. He teaches life lessons. Uh, he also takes bribes. He's like supposed to be a Captain <laughs> Kang- like Captain Kangaroo. Mm, sure, it's like he's the Captain Kangaroo, and then for, uh, for Smoochie, all of our Smoochie is the. Captain Kangaroo for all of our listeners over 40. Yeah. Um, and he takes bribes. He takes bribes to get parents, kids, onto the show in like a more camera-visible role. He kind of like uh, uh, sells these these chairs. He sells these seats on his show um, under the table. He takes cash for them. And that gets exposed. He gets disgraced. And then the network, the children's network, needs someone to fill in his time slot they really want someone who's just like this uh, unassailable, virtuous figure. And they find Edward Norton, who is Smoochie, who is a pink rhinoceros. And he's, uh, at the time, kind of like... He, well, Barney he... was a huge deal at the time, too. Right. Like, I feel right. like... I mean, Barney wasn't, like, super fresh in 2002. I'm sure Barney had been around for a number of years. But, but still a huge deal. This was, like, yeah, peak of, like, kids' entertainment where, like, everybody knew who Barney's, what Barney was. Right. And, like, this this is a movie... It's, it's kind of funny because we're now, like... We're in the millennium. Um, yes. So we're seeing content that's more catered to millennials... And this is one of the first ones that, that actually is capturing something. Like, millennials, especially younger millennials, grow up with Barney. Mm-hmm. is on their, their television programming. And now you're seeing something that's directly referencing, paying homage to that sort of programming that they would have watched growing up. Yeah. Um, 
I was a little bit too old. I kind of missed out on the Barney train. By the time Barney was out, I was uh, 9, 10, 11. 25. I was 25 <laughs> years old. Yeah. Um, so I really was not made for, for my particular demographic. But anyway, so Smoochie, um, he, he ends up rising into stardom because he's this unassailable character. He's super upstanding. He's kind of moonlighting as this character when we meet him in this uh, this meth clinic and, sing, and singing songs to people who are in recovery for meth addiction. Oh, yeah, um, because he is such a good soul. He is mm-hmm. such a kind soul and cares about everyone. Like, he, he doesn't want to do the branding stuff and he, like, right. wants to give health food to children and, yeah, you like, like, rather than marketing sugary cereals and or, or plastic toys he doesn't want to yeah. do anything to sell out and he wants like there's like a, a, mm-hmm. a whole story arc where he goes through a process of trying to get more creative control over his show so that they can't do things like sell all these crappy products he also doesn't realize how seedy his own industry is mm-hmm. like he deeply respects Rainbow uh, Randolph till the very end of the movie even mm-hmm. like he sees the, this tragic fall of this guy who is just just the shadiest gangster of a guy Robin Williams is in this movie. Like, and even then, and like all of the other ones where he like finds out that like, oh my God, all of these guys are so corrupted that are just these children's entertainers. And right, we're like, supposed to be like yeah. helping helping children learn how to share and shit. He's so, he's such a, yeah, he's such a mark. He's so naive. Right, you know? well, I think, I, and the whole, like, a lot of the, the narrative points around the movie revolve around like people trying to undercut him or get him to sell out yeah. or murder him mm-hmm. um there's a there's a plot line that involves the irish mob there's a plot line like john stewart is in the beginning of the movie disappears i read that there, there's back. six like you're lucky if a movie has like one scene scene stealing character this movie has like six mm. everybody in this movie is just going ham including robin williams <laughs> oh this yeah is, this is one of robin williams like she is psychotic and off the leash. He is, he is totally tremendous. <laughs> Every bit of it. And like, when he's on the screen, he's talking over everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just going. Like, I don't even know how much of this is even scripted. Oh, I wonder yeah. that, too. He's just I wonder terrific. that, too. Because there were a couple of things. Like, I really like this movie. It's really, really funny. Oh, it is. Uh, it's, it's captivating. There are times where I wonder if this wouldn't have been better as, like, an eight-episode, like, Netflix series. Because there are times Maybe, where the, yeah. the, the movie kind of wanders, it meanders, and they have to like pull it back together somehow. And I think they, they do a pretty good job of that in the beginning. Toward the end of the movie, if I were going to le- levy a critique, it's that... If you I think, struggle to levy a critique. I, I, I think that they it, it gets a little too meandering, and they struggle to like bring it back to, like, okay, now we need to wrap this all up and, and tie up all these threads. I think it, it might be a little too long for its own good, or it doesn't have enough time for its own good. Like, I would really love to see them do this, like, and, oh, yeah. and, and really go hog wild into, like, an eight-hour thing out of it. But, God, there's just, like, so many, just fucking, like, hilarious little, like, throwaway jokes. Like, one of my favorite moments of this movie is just... Uh, there's a conversation happening and you're seeing Smoochie doing one of his shows while other things are happening going on and he's singing the song to the kids and the song is <laughs> my stepdad isn't mean he's just adjusting <laughs> <laughs> so and, it's, and it's so fucking good yeah well uh, so Catherine Keener is in it mm-hmm. uh, she plays the sort of Amy Archer kind of character like in Hudsucker Proxy like the the big city woman that is just sort of taking advantage of this dope um, yeah, but they, they, she, she has a pretty good performance where they're early on in the movie. You, you kind of oh, see she's that. very cold. She's very cold and cynical to all this because she clearly also, by the way, has like a fetish for <laughs> these guys. 
But but you also like underneath like the cold center, you can you can tell that the cynicism was something that what well, was a defense that she put up because yeah. she kind of got disillusioned by the industry in the same way that uh, Edward Norton is in danger of being disillusioned, and he's more of like a, a a pure character who helps bring her back around to having faith that they can maybe not change the world but make a dent. Oh, and uh, yeah, and that's so sweet. And again, like uh, Edward Norton is, is absolutely, and also Edward Norton is really playing against character here because the movies he had been in previously is like fucking Fight Club and mm. Primal Fear. Mm-hmm. He's made some really dark films in which he's being a very bad person. Even like the heist, he's a terrible guy in the heist. So in this, to see him actually like have range and be this really interesting character who is so lovable and sincere, and sincere it's it's great. And it really is nice to see Catherine Keener, kind of, uh, her character, kind of warm up to him and realize that not all these guys are total dirtbags. And yeah, like, I got more cast members to bring up. Fucking, yeah, John Stewart, hilarious mm-hmm. in this. John Stewart doesn't do a lot of films, but, you know, it's great that he's there. He's doing that. Harvey Firestein is fantastic. Oh, yeah. The guy with the gravelly voice. Uh-huh. Uh, Danny DeVito directed the movie and is in it. He's another mobster. That's great. Oh, and a special shout-out to Mike Raspoli, who is the guy that plays Spinner. Uh-huh. Spinner is, like, my favorite character, honestly. Like, I love Spinner so much at this. He is a, um, a mentally disabled former boxer who had been punched in the head one too many times that is a grown, some drama. a grown man who loves Smoochie. Mm-hmm. It's... His performance is just so, so great. And, it's funny cause, cause you and there's him... no no respect for portraying the mentally disabled in this. Mm. It is about just the most well, low-effort gags. <laughs> but God, it's so funny. It, it's funny because when, when you meet him, like it's it's a bit of a a, a reference to a Raging Bull. Because he's this, this boxer who got hit way too many times. And now he wor- owns, owns in quotes, and works in a, at, a, at a restaurant. Yeah, which is his connection to the Irish mob, mm-hmm. because they're the ones that also are running this racket involving a lot of these other... Yeah. Oh, my God. But it, it's funny, because that's like a, a plot device where you think that they're going to be like these big antagonists, but they end up helping them. Yeah, they end up being pretty okay. Like, they, they go to the Irish mob to help clear out the seedy underbelly of children's television programming. Yeah. And, you know, like, when we talk about some other, like, surrealist and weird comedies, like, when we're talking about Wet Hot American Summer, mm. that is a very cheaply made film. This movie is not cheaply made. Like, the production credit of this is fantastic. The sets that they built mm-hmm. would be, like, better than your average, like, kids' television <laughs> thing. There's a fucking ice skating sequence. Yeah, there's an ice capades kind of scene that they yeah. do. And every opportunity, this movie shows its cost. Like, you could, you could, every dollar that is into this budget, you could see it's in the movie. Like, wow. This movie looks great. I think it's fantastic. I, you know... I mean, just, just to, get, I to kind of wrap this up and yeah, yeah, please do. Get, get a little bit little bit inside baseball, I work in an environment where I often see these sort of mascot character costumes when they're freshly built and they're brand new. So they go through the whole sequence where they're like crafting this thing and I'm like I'm looking at it like, okay, let's let's see how this thing really looks. And when they like show the final finished product of his new pink rhinoceros costume, I was looking, I was like, Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a solid costume. Yeah. So oh, I I love this movie. This is like yeah. a classic. It's real good. Stone Cold fucking classic. I think audiences were not ready for what it was. Mm-hmm. Um what do you think the budget on this movie was though? Oh, Wes, you're first this time. Oh, God. You said it was expensive. I don't know, 70. 75. 75? Sure. I'm going to go lower, 65. 50. 
So not, not that expensive. They're completely misunderstood then. Uh, <laughs> it's got good production value. Okay. I want to skip the budget. Or sorry, I want to skip the box office because it hurts to say. Oh, no. How much no. did this movie make? Oh, no. 20? 20. Um, I will go higher. Just out of pure faith, I will go higher. 30. Released on the weekend of Easter Sunday. Oh, it made no. eight million dollars. Ooh, ouch! Oh, no. in, the, in the box office, it ouch. was. It sold. It sold. I looked this up just to feel better about myself. It sold well on DVD. Okay. It did okay on home on home box office, but no, this was a very very <laughs> poorly received in the theater kind of movie. I think it was definitely a movie that was a, a bit ahead of its time. Yeah, if they yeah. made this movie, you know, it's a cult uh, classic. It, people look back on this as as uh, an amazing movie, like. Even though, again, I think Ebert gave it shit review too because he again Fuck he, that guy. he didn't watch the movies. Um, <laughs> but no, no uh, uh, there have been so many retrospectives on this that are glowing, saying that it's it's a fantastic movie, and it really is. If you watch it, I know it's an unco- like probably like Cable Guy. Cable Guy got was very poorly reviewed at the time. Not a lot of people wanted to watch it because not a lot of people wanted to see him or to see Jim Carrey be bad, be hmm. mean, be a bad guy. And also, probably this plays against conceptions where if, if you know Robin Williams as like Hook, uh, you probably Jumanji. remember Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. He's super lovable. He's a very likable guy. Goodwill Hunting. And in this, he is a dirtbag. Yeah. He is a Got fucking dirtbag. Dead Poet Society. My God, Robin Williams is great. This is also, as I recall, I miss that guy. I, I forget <laughs> what's great dad. I forget how they phrased it, but this year he's that was gonna a have bad movie. That was real bad. I didn't even finish that one. Wait, what one? World's Greatest Dad. Oh, I watched that movie. Yeah, that's a rough one. Oh God. I mean, it's a it's a that's a jacked up movie, but he's not a bad guy in it. Hmm. At any rate, like in this year, he's going to have three films, and all of them are films in which he is playing very sinister, dark characters. Hmm. So a lot of people, I forget how they termed it, but that like for whatever reason, he was trying to sort of expand his. What were the other ones? Uh, Insomnia. Oh. No, One Hour Photo and Insomnia. I think are the other two films. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. So, I mean, one of them is a fucking serial killer. So. He's also a bad guy in Law and Order. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. No way. I didn't, didn't see that one. Oh, very cool. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's, we're, all, let's, we're, we're running along here. Uh, Panic Room. Uh, again, this Murderer's Row directors. This is David Fincher. A David Fincher film. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, this I watched is, this one. I rewatched it. I, I, me too. Me too. I couldn't... Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, I remembered really liking it. I mean, and I remember loving certain components of it. Let me see. And every time I watch it, I love it even more. Mm. Like this is the this is the this is like a fucking perfect combination of like everything that makes Kubrick a great director and like everything that made Hitchcock a great director. And what's wild is like as much as I want to gush about this movie, it's not even this is like a minor success of David Fincher. People would be like Seven, Fight Club, Social Network, uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Alien Three. Alien 3. Nobody brings up fucking Panic Room. Mm. Panic Room is so, so good. So, so good. Um, and what, what, what do you really like about it? There's so much mundane... That it should be such a mundane film because it's essentially all shot in this one house with a panic... The premise being that like there's a panic room 
And these three bur- burglars are trying to break into the house to get and something. Jerry Leto, Forrest Whitaker, and yeah. that other guy. I'm trying to remember. It's like the thing they want is so in the plane. The other, though, right? the other guy is Dwight Yoakam. Right. And Dwight Yoakam may be the best character in this whole fucking movie. He's a psychopath. He is. Oh, he's yeah. the most deranged out of all of them. Yeah, love him. Those was the, the, the premise, Wes. Um, they, uh, Joe, uh, Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart, uh, her, her daughter in the movie. Uh, oh, by, God. That is her, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. by, this, by this house. Um... It's a house that they snatched up very quickly. The previous owner in there was this this wealthy guy, and he had recently passed away. And the people who break into his house are in there looking for a safe that will have part of his wealth. They're they're looking to steal uh, before the, the the money goes out to, into the into the inheritance. They're trying to take it before it can be given away. Also, yeah. who believe that the house is not occupied. Right. Who right. are surprised that the a family has already purchased it and have already moved into the house. Yeah, so you get these, these escalating events where, like, they weren't actually there to hurt anyone. There are people there. They're in the place where they need to get to. I, I have seen this. Things you got to control. <laughs> I'm going hey, well, to tell you everything that happened. I think you were doing that thing where we over-describe plots. <laughs> And then they get locked in the pentagram, and they have to signal with the flashlight using Morse code, and the guy shuts the curtains like, oh my god, no. Uh-huh. Um, but then they actually do a really a good job of like... Tank. <laughs> they, they do a really good job of like, or Fincher does a really good job of like, uh, upping the stakes, finding new ways to just give you more jeopardy, rather than people shouting at each other from inside a panic room. Yeah, there, there's so many great sequences, and when you boil it down, there's not that many beats even, mm-hmm. but they're all paced so well. The way that he used slow motion sometimes in the film, like think about that sequence where she's jumping out of the room to try to get the, her cell phone under the bed. Yeah, that was like, oh my god, what what a great sequence! The way the camera so casually flies around and does all of these impressive things. The camera's just constantly moving through things. You know, e- even if it's just like the railing on a on a staircase, the camera will just fly through the bars of it, or it'll go back and forward and, and move in all of these directions that your average viewer may not really appreciate, but the more that you care about cinematography and camera movement and motion, that a lot of it is just so high-tech, such wizardry for some seemingly mundane shots. Like, it didn't need to be that way, but he did because he wanted to really make a perfect film. They wanted to, had a, he had a very distinct vision for how he wanted to show this house. Um, like, God... I, I'm, I'm constantly wowed by it. It opens with a really nice long take too that kind of showcases the whole house. Mm-hmm. And even at with the... With a very snotty realtor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and but I think everyone in the movie is characterized really well. Oh yeah. Yeah, all the characters, they, they, they do kind of get their space and have their own personality. Except maybe the dad. And motivate. I actually think that's a really important point to bring up is that this is a deeply feminist film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you, for starters, you don't see him until the last third of the movie right you don't even know who this guy is all you know is that Jodie Foster is pretty and she is divorced because her husband was cheating on her and now has a new woman and you're like okay well this guy must be like hot shit you know and then she ends up through a series of events calling him and you think okay so he's gonna show up and save the day and then when you see who he is he's just like some old dude yeah he's just like some 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 slob yeah, who, one, immediately gets his shit kicked in. Mm-hmm. And by, then exists for the rest of the movie as like a, a, a bloody mannequin sitting in a chair. He's the only one that ends up with the gun. Mm. And he misses on every shot. <laughs> like, he's just totally inept and useless, this whole fucking movie. And the entire time, you're, you're, you're thinking it's going to be like, 
you know, some hero that's going to show up and save the day. He's not Superman. He's just this useless some dude. Yeah. And you're like, wow, Jodie Foster, you could do better. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, by, and by the end, like, I felt bad for Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, he, he he's a sort of a tragic hero. Right? Yeah, hero, just a tra- tragic character in all of this thing. Because he's the only one that, like, was just there to do a... He was just there to do some Didn't want to hurt anybody. Just wanted to do a little bit of crime. Didn't want to hurt anybody. Just wanted to get in there, get his thing, and get out. And that was his expertise, is that he's the one of the people that manufactures and installs mm-hmm. these uh, high-tech security rooms. And then you've got Jared Leto, who is just the rich kid's son, that wa- or, or grandson, I think it is, that wants mm-hmm. to just get the money. And then you got Dwight Yoakam, who is just the uh, psychotic muscle yeah. brought into He's this. a wild card. Oh, and God, he's so good. I really just, I love his performance. Yeah, he, he goes, he, as soon as like you, you meet this guy, you know he's unhinged. He goes mm-hmm. way off the rails by the end. And like, I love like, like, who the fuck is this guy? He's like... Raul, <laughs> Raul, Raul. <laughs> um, but like, uh, you, you you feel bad for Forrest Whitaker because Forrest Whitaker the whole time is like trying to keep things contained, and he ends up being the guy who takes care of Raul, yeah, murders him, mm-hmm. um, but like does so in like this hero moment where he like goes back into the house because he knows that Raul is going to to fuck them up. He's going to Raul's... and he and he gives Chris, Kristen Stewart her insulin. Mm-hmm. You know he's. Clearly doesn't want anything to do with this. The deal's gone bad, and he just wants to get out of there, you know. Mm-hmm. He keeps getting roped back in, because I keep almost getting to the goalie. keep almost getting the money, and yeah, circumstances escalate, and yeah. the cops crash in, and they take him away. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, and I think there's two key messages, and that's, you know, feminism we just talked about. I think the other key message is, and I think it's kind of lost with the way that society is now, with our own information, but it's very much about the surveillance state. Hmm. It's about the kind of way that people panicked in their 21st early 21st century about, you know, we'll always be monitored and viewed and tracked and all that stuff. And it's, that's what the panic room is about. It's got all these cameras and it's constantly people just sort of observing other people. And it's like, no, no, no. Nowadays we just, we film ourselves and we give away our, our personal information and our, our you give it away for free, give it away for free. It doesn't even matter to us. We just, you know, don't care. So I think that that message maybe doesn't resonate like it probably sh- would have at the time, mm. that everything would be so high tech and that you know. So I don't know. And, I, and the w- one last parting shot on this on this absolutely fantastic movie is I just love that sequence at the very end where it's just a series of still shots of all the rooms. Mm. He just cycles through. Fincher just puts the camera down and cycles through all these rooms that you remember from the very beginning of the film when they're doing the walkthrough, where you are doing the walkthrough of the house and being. Showing all these rooms, and then everything is just sort of in this after the chaos. It's just like the bedrooms just destroyed, and you remember all of these fantastic scenes that occurred in the room. That you see the kitchen from the point of view of Jared Leto with his feet up in the air after being shot in the head. You know, like it's it's just such a good reminder of all these little moments that were captured throughout the film. Like, God, this movie's so fucking good. Jared Leto, who worked with Fincher before in Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Apropos of nothing. Um, All right, I, yeah. I mean, I'm going on. What else? Any, any I think else? I'm first this time. Joe, this movie costs $25 million. I was going to go 30 48 mm. So wow. a, little, a little bit more. What yeah. do you think it made in the box office? This movie made... It made... It's made its money. Yeah, I think it definitely made its money back. I was, this movie made $80 million. I'll go 100 
I don't know why, but it drew almost 200. 197. Okay. Yeah, so it it way overperformed. Goddamn. Um, Yeah. One last movie to talk about, and then we can get out of here. Oh my gosh. The Uh, Rookie. The Rookie uh, by John Lee Hancock, director of uh, some other sports-type movies, uh, Blindside, Saving Mr. Banks, and Founder. Yeah, but it's not Um, Rookie of the Year. It's just The Rookie. Right. Right. This is the Dennis Quaid one. He does not play a child. Plays a forty-year-old man. It's also based your, on your 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 main squeeze, isn't in it? Gary Busey. Oh, yeah. Busey. No, sadly. Um, but yeah, no, no. This uh, based on real events, based on a real story. Um, it's got uh, Dennis Quaid mm-hmm. in it. Uh, the premise, Start the reactor. Yeah, the the premise being that this guy was supposed to be a hot shot pitcher that fucked up his arm, and never really played the ball that he was supposed to in his career and then at age 40 or whatever he's coaching a baseball team that are like a bunch of shitty kids that an age that's supposed to be washed up for professional sports yes and he um uh agrees that if he can get these kids to turn around their season that he'll try out for uh the minor leagues because he can still throw a fastball real fucking hard um, and I think is that is that even true what they say about the Tommy John surgery that sometimes pitchers come back throwing harder after sometimes. the Tommy Johns sometimes I think it's supposed to be that kind of thing like he had that surgery or whatever but he never really tested out his arm after that and also at this point in his life now that he's in his what late 30s or 40s or whatever he's settled down he's had kids he's a teacher or whatever you know so it's like this is sort of way past something but he his kids do ultimately like win state or whatever they achieve whatever goal they were supposed to that requires him to now try out he tries out and then everyone's kind of shocked that yeah this dude can throw a mid-90s fastball Mm. um and it's sort of it's this is the most like unsentimental sports movie like your typical which is weird because it's like ripe territory for sentiment yeah, yeah, you know, typically there's like that there's that game with that game that they win or all that or it's like everyone realizes they're good and they have this profound moment where it's like, you know, he has this relationship with his dad where his dad's like at the end of the day your family relies on you. You know, you can't throw that away. You can't chase a dream at the expense of your family. And at the and at the end of the day he does that and he goes out there and he pitches a big league game and he wins that game and he's, and then he confronts his dad and his dad is essentially says to him, "Is like, I'm glad that turned out well for you, that could have royally ruined your life." What you just that's essentially his point. He's like, "I'm glad that worked out for you. You could have you could have easily put your family in financial destitute because of this chasing this dream." And he's right. <laughs> like his dad is Brian Cox and Brian Cox is great in this movie too. Um, but yeah, yeah, so, like, it is, actually, I kind of, I mean, my other notes on this is that I actually do enjoy this movie, I think it's it's really good, there's a lot of just beautiful Dust Bowl America shots, like, if you just, like, scenes of baseball parks and gorgeous Midwest America, this movie's fucking got it, it's all shot, it's, it's in West Texas, I guess, it's supposed to be, like, Midland, Texas, where George Bush is from. So, um, yeah, yeah, like, it's it's a lot of unsentimental. It's very, Yeah, again, it, it's it's so lacking in sentimentality that you kind of have to appreciate that. Did you watch it? No, no, well, when it was new. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's actually pretty pretty cool. And it's not a particularly long film. Um, oh, and it is based on, again, a real guy who did pitch in the big leagues. Oddly enough, 
The same year that this movie comes out, he divorces his wife in real life. Oh my god. So oh no. Okay. Brian Cox was right. Yeah, so I guess this did cause some actual strife within his family that the film doesn't capture. Mm. So, again, we don't know the circumstances of their divorce, but... Um, Not exactly the tone for a Disney movie. Yeah, yeah, it was just a weird uh, a weird thing that I looked up. I mean, I wasn't trying to drag this guy or anything who, again, did manage to, you know, come back in his late 30s and, and, and pitch some big league minute, like innings. So, good for him. So you're yeah. right, you got hope. Yeah, I can still get out there. I can you still get it. You can get it. Yeah. You'll be on that uh, team with Chase Utley in no time. Oh, this is going to be great. I like his hair. Yeah. <laughs> he runs fast. <laughs> so we've gone for this, fucking ever, haven't we? This, yeah. movie, this movie cost $40 million, Wes. Oof. Uh, 30. 22. 22 million. On the cheap. This, what, do you, what do you think it made? This movie, Wes, made $120 million. 72. Wes is closer. 80. Okay. Yeah. 80. So, again, uh, aside from poor Death to Smoochie, all these movies did a pretty good job of earning their budget back. Yeah, good month. Yeah. Good month for... But, movie of the month. It's, it's got to be between oh, Death to Smoochie and, and Panic Room. It's got to be one of those oh, two. Uh, gosh. Oh, that is a really... They're so totally different, and yet they're so perfect. Yeah, it's... Um, it's, it's I'll go Death to Smoochie. It's just tough to make. I have Death to Smoochie highlighted, too, just because of... Um, I, I think it's, it's super rewatchable. Yeah, I, I agree. Panic Room, also a really good movie, and also worth sure a couple of viewings. Mm -hmm. But uh, not not as like a, a fun time to rewatch. Yeah, exactly. So that's it. Next up is the official show. Yep. And we'll, uh, we got some new games to talk about, some news as well. It's going to be a good one. Gospel or Gossip? If, if you're okay with me making things up, the no, last time I tried to, no, the last time no. I tried to make things up, it's Wes, gonna be legitimate gospel or gossip. You can't just make shit up because then, do whatever I want. then at the same time, then it's just all gossip because you're making the shit up. Unless I throw in some real stuff, in which case it's gospel. <laughs> there, there. If there is some gospel or gossip, it might just be one or two things. Since West doesn't want me to make things up, I'm gonna make things up. Um. And then, yeah, we'll start all up with the uh, the Pokemon show in April. Yeah. But that's it. That's the end. So long. Later.